tonight, an 80s all over Patreon exclusive interview with the star of Reanimator from Beyond and your next, Barbara Crampton. And now, your host, Scott Weinberg. Hello, welcome to a bonus episode of 80s All Over. My name is Scott Weinberg, and I am not joined by my co-host, Drew McWeeny. Hi, it's me, Drew. Here's my funny Al Pacino impersonation. That wasn't Drew. Today's his son's birthday, and he was not able to join us. Happy birthday, Alan. But we are joined by a very special guest, a uh, person who is near and dear to the heart of me, Andrew, um, a, a wonderful actor and a beautiful person. Let's just give it up for the great Barbara Crampton. Hey, what a nice intro. Thank you. Uh, Miss Crampton, Barbara, I have to tell you, one of my the favorite uh, my favorite side effects or fringe benefits of of doing this job is is the uh, the people that I grew up admiring and the handful mm-hmm. of them that I've become friendly with. And right. you and I have hung out in Austin, in L.A., yeah. in mm-hmm. Chicago, and right. in a pr- in a prison in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, That's and true. It, I am so uh, uh, grateful that you and I have become friends over the last several years. Our listeners will, of course, know. Ms. Crampton from recent films like Your Next and uh, the upcoming Apple Cart, the uh, Sun Choke. We're going to talk more about her 80s films. But before we get into that, oh, we are still here. Uh, I would like to very quickly, before we get into the 80s, Barbara, talk to yeah. us a little bit about quote unquote comebacks, uh, a resurgence, as it were, yeah. because Your Next was kind of a comeback for you. So oh. talk. Talk a little bit yeah. about how you took time off to be with your family and then boom, you hit the scene again, big time. Yeah. I mean, I really thought that I was kind of done. Um, a, a lot of what happens, um, you know, it's no secret to a lot of women actresses that are in their late thirties is that, uh, the, the parts kind of start to dry up. And I felt like right after I did castle freak, and I started to feel comfortable with my acting and feel like, oh, I know what I'm kind of doing now. I wasn't getting any auditions. I wasn't getting any parts. And I, I was dating my husband soon after that. And then he said, well, why don't we move up to San Francisco? Because I have a great job offer up there. And I, and I was like, okay, I guess I can leave because nobody's calling me. So we came up to San Francisco and I, um, had two kids kind of back to back and I just really left Hollywood behind and I wasn't thinking about it at all. And I think I had a couple of tiny little jobs here and there, but nothing very much, nothing splashy. And then, uh, I just happened to be running on the treadmill, uh, at, um, Squaw Valley mountain, um, during like the ski season one year. And I got a message on my phone from my agent who I hadn't talked to in six years. And I couldn't believe he hadn't lost my number. And, um, he said, Oh, I have an offer for you for a job. And I said, an offer for a job. Like what job is it? Who, who wants me to be in a movie and who remembers me and whatever. And it happened to be uh, Simon Barrett from your next, he was one of the uh, producers and also, you know, the writer on that film. Yeah, so, and, and a little sidebar, Simon is not only a fantastic screenwriter, but what yeah. a, what a great guy. He is a, I such a him. good friend, such a decent yeah. guy. I'm sorry. So the, please continue. Yeah. Don't be sorry. It's all, it's great. So we want to shout out to Simon. Um, uh, I, you know, they were doing this, this movie and they wanted some sort of horror movie notable to play one of the parents, either, you know, myself or the dad or whatever. So they reached out to my agent to see if I was available. Simon had met Stuart Gordon and Jeffrey Combs at, I think at Fantastic Fest when they were there like a year before. And so it sparked something in him. And I read the script and I thought, wow, this is a nice little movie. I don't know who these people are, but you know, as you do, you, you look up their stuff and, and I felt really removed from Hollywood. And I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with a horrible way to die or, you know, or Adam Wingard or anything, but I, I did a little research and I thought, well, okay, it sounds like fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And, um, it was the best thing I ever did as far as my career is concerned, 
because it just opened me up back into acting. And, you know, I realized how hard motherhood is and how fun working on a movie is. And, and I was working with some of the brightest young minds in Hollywood right now. I mean, just people that do all the different jobs, you know, they write, they direct, they act, they produce. And, and, um, there was just such a nice camaraderie. And I, I just felt like it was just, they were really accessible. It was, the whole process was more fun than I'd ever remembered That's because great. I, I felt more, I felt more, uh, involved in the process because, you know, back in the eighties, I just came in and I did my little acting job and that was it. And everybody's jobs were sort of set into boxes and lines. And, and on this shoot, I just felt like everybody had a voice. What do you think about this scene? How's it going? Do we want to change the lines? You know, Simon would come up to me and say, do you like what you're saying? You know, would you like to say something yeah. different? And, and, um, of course I worked a lot with AJ Bowen, who's, you know, really a very fluid actor. It was just, it was just a nice way to come back. So that's, that's how it began. Do you um, find, uh, did you find when you were there that like, Hey, these people, these filmmakers, most of them know me from my eighties yeah. work and they searched me out specifically because mm -hmm. they like my work. Mm -hmm. It's not a question of, oh, is she young and pretty or is she, does she fit this certain box like you say? It was, hey, wait a minute. They invited me because they like my work. That foundation right well, there has to be very welcoming. Well, I guess I didn't thank you for that. I didn't feel like that at the moment. I, I felt like it could have been anybody. They could have called Suzanne Schneider. They could have called Kelly Maroney. They could have called lots of different people and maybe they would have, and I don't actually know if I was the first call or not, but, um, what, however it happened, uh, I, I'm grateful for that. And, yeah. and it, and, and also it just, the whole thing just made me feel so inspired, you know, because these guys are all, um, you know, so adept at what they're doing and look at their careers now. I mean, look at, Ty West and Joe Swanberg and look at yeah. Simon and look at Adam and, you know, look at the producers, Keith Calder and his wife, Jessica Wu. I mean, they're, they're on fire. They're all fantastic. And I, I was pinching myself and feeling very lucky to be there. And also I was quite nervous, you know, it, it actually fit the role because my, my character of the mom was kind of a nervous kind of person who in the beginning, um, they, we had a few scenes that we shot that didn't end up in the movie, but I was taking a lot of pills and, um, you know, I had been drinking before, but then, you know, I wasn't drinking anymore, but I was quite a nervous person. So it worked because I hadn't been on screen or hadn't worked with yeah. anybody and for it's six gotta years. Be, you yeah. think, gosh, they, they like all my, uh, eighties horror <laughs> films. What if I show up and I, I stink. What if they don't I like suck. me? Right. Right. I, right. I, I didn't want to suck, you know? Well, you um, didn't, uh, yeah, your next was you. a, uh, was a big, festival favorite. It went all over the world and that opened the door from there. You did, uh, we, for our listeners can find you in, we are still here. Sun choke tales of Halloween road games beyond the gates. And I'm just picking the ones that I think are real good. There's a lot more in between, but let us now travel back time machine <laughs> and its own. And we're going to visit the very young Barbara Crampton as she interviews Yay. with Yay. Brian De Palma for Body Double. Right. Now, how did that come yeah. about? You play a small role as Craig Wasson's mm -hmm. girlfriend who is uh, cheating on him and kind of kick. You kind of are the uh, part, one of the inciting incidents in the film. Right. Um, yeah, that was kind of exciting. Uh, I met with the casting people and then they put me on tape and I actually had more uh, lines and more scenes in the movie before I shot my part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, they sent the tape to Brian along with some other people. And then, you know, he chose me. I had two other scenes in the movie with dialogue and, you know, one, two, they were kind of, one was a little brief, but another one was more of a substantial scene. And it was about, you know, Craig's Wasson's and myself's problems and how we weren't getting along and whatever it was, something like that. And the night before I was supposed to shoot this, my part or come in, for a day or two, they said, oh, well, we've cut all the dialogue scenes and mm. we just have that one scene with you with the guy in bed. And I thought, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? And they said, you know, do you want to do it or 
or not. And, you know, I guess looking back, part of me was like, did they do that on purpose? I don't know. Oh, gosh. You know, I mean, who knows? Were they always going to be in there or not ever going to be in there? I don't know. But at the time, I thought, it's Brian De Palma, okay? Yeah. He works with a lot of the same people. And maybe it'll lead to something else. And if anything, I get to work with one of the greatest directors of all time. So I should just do it. And uh, I had a wonderful day. I had a great time. It was really only (laughs) one day. But we shot that scene, which was, you know, so minimal all day long. It was it was long. And I became kind of friendly with Brian after that. And his first AD, Joe Napolitano, who unfortunately just passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and Brian came to my house. He came to a party I had after that. And, you know, I was just hoping and waiting that maybe something would happen and it never did. And then one day I was sitting with my girlfriend, um, at Houston's in Century City in LA that doesn't exist anymore. We were having lunch and all of a sudden this safari coat walks up to my table and I look up and it's Brian. And so I'm telling Brian at that moment, why I did the part because it's you, Brian, and hoping that it could lead to more and waiting for something to happen. And, you know, as I was, I was bolder as I got older. So I, you know, could say that to him then, but I couldn't say it to, to him on the set, you know, at the time. And he sort of laughed and he goes, yeah, I'm going to keep you in mind. I'm going to keep you in mind. So I'm still waiting for the call to work with Brian again. Come on, Brian else. De Palma. Yeah. We want body right? double two, Carol's revenge. <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah. And it seems like every note notable actor of the eighties was in one of two, uh, one of two things, mm-hmm. either a, uh, a horror sequel or a teen sex comedy. Right. So yeah, sure. can you have any anecdotes or anything you can share briefly about fraternity vacation? Yeah. Well, you know, that was, um, uh, uh, Tim, um, what's his name? Who's in the movie with me? Tim, Tim Robbins, Robbins. One of Tim Robbins' earliest yes. jobs. Yep. Yes. And um, yeah. Amanda Bierce, Matt McCoy. Amanda some Bears, good people. Right. Yeah. Good. Some great, good people great, in this movie. Great actors. I mean, I, I think we all felt like we were on spring break, even mm-hmm, though mm-hmm. obviously we were older characters. It was, it was James Frawley was the director and it was super fun. We were in Palm Springs. We stayed at a really cool, kitschy hotel. We shot at another cool hotel. There was lots of extras. I mean, if you've seen the movie, the movie's fun. Um, and I could tell that Tim Robbins had a special something. There was, there was definitely something about him. He was extremely charismatic and yeah. yeah. It's always interesting when you see actors in their very, very early roles, like people Mm -hmm. say like Tom Cruise, could you see it in like 1983? And I yeah. kind of think you can like, and right. sometimes even in Howard, the duck, which is kind of a mess, Tim Robbins and Leah Thompson yeah. really shine, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's the part and sometimes it's the actor. And if you're lucky enough as a really young person to have a great part, it, it, it can often lead to other films. Um, you know, if the part isn't good, if the movie isn't good, it's going to stall you a little bit more, but I think, uh, I think you could really tell from some of the early projects that Tim was involved in. He was involved in some good projects and he was great in them. And, and there was, there was definitely like a larger than life, something special about him. He filled up the space that he inhabited. He filled up the room and you couldn't take your eyes off him. And I, I I think that was evidence even in that movie. I noticed it. I, uh, the main reason I dug that one up as a kid, uh, or as a teenager, I should say, was because it was directed by the man who directed the Muppet movie, Mm -hmm. which I always found fascinating. And as as I haven't revisited it in many years, but if I had to uh, going just by memory, I put it square in the middle of the uh, teen sex comedies. I remember it being like more amiable than puerile, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the funny thing too, about an actor in that movie, Kathleen Kinmont is in that and we're sort of mm -hmm. sidekicks with one another. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's in a bride of reanimator. Right. Okay. Okay. There's a connection there too. Okay. So from there you had done a very small role in a, a major release and a a fairly Mm -hmm. decent role in a wide release teen comedy. Then how were you introduced to, how do you meet Stuart Gordon? 
Well, I, I came in and auditioned for Reanimator, not realizing that it was a second round. It was a second call because the girl that they originally cast for the part, her mother read the script and said, oh no, you're not doing this movie. And so they had to recast. <laughs> um, so I came in, Anthony Barneo was the casting director and I hadn't met him before. I think it was just sort of, I was, you know, they, they sent out uh, a casting call for it. And I think my agent at the time just sent my picture in and they went, Oh, okay, we'll call her. Um, unbeknownst to me, Jeffrey and, um, um, my co-star, <laughs> Dan Kane. What's wrong with me? I can't remember people's names today. Uh, Bruce Abbott. Oh my God. I was just saying you were searching for it. I was about to say Bruce Abbott and, and I've always yeah. forgotten his name and it's not a disrespect to the actor who's quite good. <laughs> it's just that yeah. something about his name is generally, you know, like Mike yeah. Smith-ish. That's all. Yeah. Anyway, it's just age with me, but I, I went in and they, so they already had the parts and I came in and read with them and there were, were a few other ladies there, you know, young ladies, maybe 10 of us. And I would go in and read a scene with them and then they would say, okay, go back out and work on this scene. Can you do this scene? And I would say, oh, okay. Then I'd go out into the lobby and work on this, another scene a little bit more and then go back in with one or two of them and, you know, read the scene again. And I was, I kept thinking to myself, wow, these guys are good. I hope they get the parts too. And I hope I get it, but they were already cast. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, and they liked Bruce and my chemistry together. So I think that was a really important aspect to the film. And initially, you know, before Jeffrey sort of, you know, whipped up the whole movie and took it over with his grand presence, it was really the story of Dan Kane and his journey. But, you know, Jeffrey just made the, the part of Herbert West so iconic and he filled it with so much humor and, and zest that, um, it was a surprise to everyone that, well, that uh, well, it, it we became have to, his movie. Well, yeah, like what uh, what kind of an actor, what is Jeffrey Combs like on set? He seems like he could be either very intense or a complete goofball. <laughs> okay, well, he's both. And he yeah. kind of switches back and forth, you know. He can be very intense. He can be so silly and funny. Um. And other times he gets very prickly, very easy. Things annoy him and he lets you know. Uh, so you're never quite sure what's going to happen with him, but he's a delightful human being, super smart. And uh, we all got along very well. So after I got that role, one of the nice things about it was that Stuart coming from the theater and this being his first movie that he directed wanted to rehearse. And at the time, you know, sometimes now your agents try to get you a little bit of money for rehearsal. I don't really care about that. I, I'll give you money to let me rehearse because I think it's valuable as well. But at the time, nobody was asking for that. And we spent three weeks rehearsing that movie. And yeah, we were, I, I was, obviously yeah. I'm not an actor, but like if me and you were in a movie and there was no rehearsal time, I'd be like, can I come over at 10 o'clock so we can run through this stuff together? Like it would just well, seem natural, yeah. just a natural preparation. <laughs> well, most of the time there isn't rehearsal time. Most mm -hmm. of the time you don't know the other actors. They don't, if they fly you to a location, they don't want to fly you there early so right. that you can do like the table read and then work on the scenes. I think on some of the recent movies I've done, I've had one or two days where mm -hmm. I might be able to run through the scene, sitting at a table with the other actor. And then the director listens and puts his two cents in, but it's not like really working on the scenes, getting on your feet, working out some potential blocking and things like that. But we did that with Stuart and Bruce and Jeffrey were both from the theater as well. And so was I, I, I have a degree in theater. I went to college for it. I thought that's what I was going to do. I moved to New York city. I did a few plays in New York before moving out to LA. So that process felt good to me and I felt really prepared. Um, so I, I appreciated that. And I think that helped us. Our shooting schedule was like 19 days or something. And 
we just showed up on set and, you know, we, we just felt good in our, yeah. in our relationships to one another as people. Cause we spent three weeks with one another and as characters and it, it definitely showed on screen, I think. Yeah, not to uh, not to plug my own thing, but Steven, our director on Found Footage 3D, mm. he absolutely he had a week of the actors just rehearsing and staying at the set together with him. Oh, really? And that was it, oh. a week. And That's I, nice. I, yeah, and he said that was essential. Uh, and so any, any aspiring directors yeah. out there, uh, make sure you give your actors at least a day or two to just rehearse, play around, get to know each other, because it works, it, it matters. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll do it for you for free. I mean, I will, I don't, you know, I don't think my agents listen to podcasts, so they, <laughs> you know, they won't, they won't know that I'm telling you this, but I'll give you as much time as you'd like. I'll give you as much time as you need. And I, I appreciate that process. I, I think it makes everybody feel better. Let's uh, talk a bit about, uh, the screenplay for Reanimator, uh, mm -hmm. of course, by Dennis Paoli, who adapted a lot of Lovecraft for Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna and is a, in my opinion, fantastic writer. Um, were you familiar with Lovecraft before you read this script? <laughs> no. Okay. Jeffrey has a funny thing to say about that. He says, um, Lovecraft, I thought it was a boat. The Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah. No, I was not familiar with him. And I, I don't know, were a lot of people really familiar with him before Stuart and, you know, a few uh, other people brought yeah, him. Yeah, I would down. say... I, again, you know, in, you in horror the nerds, maybe. Yeah, I was, you know, I was 14 when the movie came out. So I had probably heard of Lovecraft yeah. like I had heard of Poe, but uh, right. but I hadn't read them at that point. And I probably would have. But if you're if the point we're both uh, getting to is that uh, Stuart Gordon and his team opened Lovecraft to an entire generation of people, mm -hmm. then I yes, we both agree on that wholeheartedly. I love his work. Even yeah. the films of his that I don't like, I still love because they're him and they're unique. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so yeah. when you're, sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, just as a little aside, I don't know if people know this or not, but it, it was originally going to be adapted into a potential series. That was Brian Usna's idea. And then when Stuart and Dennis got together, they worked on the material and they just felt like it was going to be a better movie. Mm. So they cobbled the stories together and made it into a film and, you know, added my character. And I think Stuart and Dennis take a lot of license with Lovecraft and, mm -hmm. you know, it's Lovecraft's very atmospheric and there's, there's a feel, there's a tonality to his work that, you know, is throughout every story that you read. But as far as putting down specific things that happen and nailing events and beats and things like that. That's what I think they brought to in particular reanimator and also, you know, to from beyond. Oh, um, oh we'll get there. I, yeah, I we'll couldn't, there, but, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I love my, one of my favorite things about both of these movies is that they were clearly made by people who love and admire the original source material, mm -hmm. but they're not married to it. And yeah. it's, we're going to use this idea, this theme, and these two set pieces, and the rest is mine. And and that's right. what I like about Reanimator and From Beyond and Castle Freak is that they are uh, true adaptations. They are not literal mm -hmm. uh, translations. And that, that yeah. would, not only would that be remarkably difficult for Lovecraft, but it would be boring. Right. And, and so to answer your question, you know, I read the screenplay and then I read some of the stories of Lovecraft, of Reanimator, and some other things, and I kind of just got the sense of what the feeling of it was. And you know, with Stewart's strong hand in in direction, um, I you know, I was we were all led to our performances. But also, and people talk about this, you know, very famously too, the humor in the screenplay, it it it, it was there somewhat. But Jeffrey owned that humor. He really brought out the humor and made it more of a horror comedy than I think even Stuart realized it was going to be, or any of us, you know? I mean, yeah. we, were the, we were the straight men, you know? And Jeffrey uh, was the evil scientist, you know, with a smile. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and the, this, I think, not in all cases, but definitely in the case of Reanimator, the humor really helps because if that premise is delivered Right. deadly serious, it mm -hmm. very easily could be ridiculous. 
And yeah. so when you have like the cat, which is dark humor, and you have all the mo- and you have Dean Halsey walking around with mm-hmm. his head in a tray, dark, broad humor, you know, it's like that kind of right. cuts the the ridiculousness of it and goes, it's a comic yeah. book. We're all we're all we all get yeah. the tone. Uh, it, did you was- uh, did you ever expect that it would be any kind of a hit or did you think, oh, this will be good stepping stone. It'll be on VHS in a year and I'll do something else. (laughs) Well, I guess I thought that, I mean, as a young actor, you take any job that comes along basically. So it's not like I was picking and choosing things. This job was offered to me. So I did it. And then of course you, you hope that each job is going to lead to another job, to another job, to another job. And, and, and when you look back after, you know, 25 or 30 years, you'll have a career on your hands or you'll look back and say, I have a career. There was somebody, you know, a very good friend of mine who's a screenwriter who was on Twitter yesterday, who was bemoaning the fact that, oh my gosh, everything takes so long. It's so hard. And, you know, I can't, I have to squeeze every win out of every day or month or year that I have. And it's so hard. And I, and I, tweeted back to him and I said, you're, and I direct messaged him and I said, just relax. This, this guy did a great movie. He did super dark times, which came out recently. Oh, it's one of the writers. Really? Super, yeah, right? That's a great movie. That's a great Luke movie. And Ben are sweet right? guys. Yeah. You want to see a kind of standby me ish, but perhaps a little darker check out super right. dark times. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I hope Luke doesn't mind me sharing this, but, um, I direct messaged him and I said, look, you're going to, you're going to, look back on your career after 35 or 40 years and you're going to realize all the things that took you to get here were positive things. And I didn't have positive experiences. And and I'll tell you, then this relates directly to your question while on reanimator or while, you know, the press or the marketing or, you know, what my agents thought of it or what other, um, casting directors thought of it, uh, at the time, it wasn't like a great experience but now, looking back, I mean, it's one of the things that has given me a name or given me my career. And I said, you already have super dark times. I know you guys as writers, you're going to have more of those. So just chill out a little bit. You know, it's, it's going to, they're, they're new writers. It's, it's, it's going to work out for you. It's going to, it's going to be right. I know, yeah. yeah, I know exactly what they're going through, but like, when did you realize yeah. that that, that it was, oh my God, this is like, in some regards, this is big, like well, on it, festivals, horror geeks oh, like it. A few years ago, Scott, come on. When it first came out, uh, Pauline Kael and Roger Ebert were hailing it as something really innovative and wonderful. And we got great reviews. So I call my agents and I say, guys, set me up with some, you know, general meetings with the bigger casting people. Oh my God, the movie's gotten great reviews and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's okay. I mean, I I don't even know if they saw it, but nobody was interested because it was a horror movie because maybe I was exploited in it to some degree. I don't know, but I couldn't get a meeting after that. I couldn't get you know, I got regular meetings. Oh, maybe if she's right for this part, we'll see her. But I didn't get any meetings because I was in reanimator. I didn't okay. get any, I didn't get any. Do you think that there's that. kind of like, for years, oh, for years. it's an unrated, super gory horror movie yeah. with nudity and sexuality. And it's like, I, you're almost like, oh, that's what she does. That's her brain. Right. We'll, we'll go. Yeah. See that. Yeah, it was kind of looked down upon by yeah, casting that, that's directors. A shame. I, I kind of hope we're getting past yeah. that stuff nowadays. Oh, I think we are. I think yeah. we are now. I think we are. Everybody's smarter now. What is your teller? Yeah. I'm sorry. You go. No, the storytellers are smarter now that, you know, genres uh, are being mixed up a little bit. Look at get out. You know, I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that was a bigger movie, but I think that people aren't telling, you know, purely slasher stories or purely found footage, like found footage 3d, which is a very smart um, take on that uh, subgenre. Yeah. Truly, I and, uh, no, no, I, and and to those who think she's just being sweet, she DM'd me. I don't know when mm. you saw it. She DM'd me months ago and said, uh, "I was gonna like it because I like you, but this movie's great." And yeah. I was like, "I told Steven, our director, he was he, he was elated." So thank you for well, that. Well, I I saw your movie. I think it was at Cinepocalypse three years ago, and I remember I was sitting next to Bria Grant because Beyond the Gates was showing there as well. And we were sitting in the audience and we're looking at each other going, oh, another found footage movie. Oh, this isn't going to be very good, but I don't know. Let's just sit here and hang out and relax and have some popcorn. And yeah. Then, you know, whatever. 
That was, yeah, that was at Rosemont. What a great weekend. And Beyond the Gates, that went over really well, too. People, that was our world premiere, Barb. And people, we walked out. Okay, but I want to tell you. Yeah. Rhea and I were like, ugh, nonplussed by being there. We were screaming by the end of it. We love that movie so much. It has, it's so fun. Thank you. And, you know, it, it, it just, and all the actors are amazing. There's so many surprises in that movie. And I'm not a big fan of found footage and I'm kind of over it. But when I saw that movie, I was like, this is different. This is something new and fresh. And I hope people who haven't seen that movie will, will watch it and seek it out because it's truly a really nice experience. Thank you so much. Yeah. All all credit goes to Steven and Randy. They're the, they're the people who made it. I'm just uh, one of the, uh, one of the ticket collectors on the train and and happy to be so, but, uh, but let me, but let me save this back to your other question because you said, you said, um, you know, how was it received and, you know, what happened? So, I, you know, I, Stuart loved me and, you know, Brian loved me. And they were like, oh, my God, we love you. We want to work with you again. And Charlie Band was like, oh, this is you're so great. And we think you're fabulous. And, but I wasn't I just wasn't getting any auditions. It was actually surprising to me. I thought, wow, I can make a movie that comes out and it's this good and and people love it. But it doesn't lead to anything. But guess what? We didn't have social media back then. We didn't have Twitter or Facebook. We didn't have the fans. We didn't even have, you know, conventions weren't that big. So we didn't have the audience directly telling the money people and the producers and distributors, hey, I like this actor. I like I like this that's, movie. Yeah, it's a really uh, good know, point. We didn't have that. We had Fangoria Magazine, you know, talking about it. We had other magazines coming out and saying things, articles written. But, you know, that that's all you got. So... At, concurrently, I, at that time, I, for some reason, was called in to, to audition for, for a role on uh, The Young and the Restless for a six-week part, and I went in for that, and uh, I think I got that job. I don't know if I got that job before, from, beyond, or afterwards. It might have been afterwards, but I started doing soap operas and horror movies like at the same time because it provided me with a regular income when I was on a soap opera, I would work for, you know, a few years and, and the, the six week gig on the young and the restless turned into a number of years. So I would, you know, be on a show and then be off and then do a couple of horror movies, then come back to do a soap opera, then, you know, do it, do a horror movie. So that was uh, a nice way for me to make a living being a creative person and being an actor and doing something that, you know, I loved every day. I mean, so talk a little that. bit, if you could, Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the difference between um, neither of them are, uh, I'm sure they both have their distinct pressures. What, what's mm-hmm. the major difference between working on an indie horror film like Reanimator and working on a, a, a network soap opera? Well, working on a soap opera is um, you just have to fulfill your obligation every single day to shoot one show a day. And that's 80 pages usually. And it's three camera and you have to know your lines. You have to know your blocking, which you get in the morning. They just say, move here, move here, move there. I mean, pretty much you don't even talk about it with the director. They just tell you where to move. And you have to run your lines in the makeup room while you're getting ready with the other actors and, and just show up and do it. And you have to really trust yourself a lot. So in the beginning of my career doing uh, those shows actually now remembering it was, I think I did, um, days of our lives. That was my first job, even before I did uh, body double. I, you have to get used to that pressure and you have to, and memorization is really important. And I, working on a movie script, if you have enough time, if you have a few weeks, it's really not hard to memorize your lines, but working on a soap opera, it's, um, it's challenging because you have mountains of dialogue and it, it's a muscle like anything else. It, you know, the more you work at, the better it gets. So it's, it's, uh, it seems like, a, an, it, it, I mean, I could be biased, but it seems like in a in an optimal situation, an indie film is kind of like collaborative and a little laid yeah. back and kind of uh, summer camp. And, well, it is and now. It, it seems like it is now. a soap opera is more yeah. like an assembly line. You put these in the box oh, and keep totally. moving. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I would get mad a couple of times when I remember being working on Young and the Restless especially because I was there for a few years. So I felt pretty comfortable saying what I felt at different times. 
And I can remember doing a scene and thinking, no, this isn't right. We've got to do this again. And then, and them saying, moving on. And I'd be like, no, 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 guys, come on. Can we, cause they would run out of the booth. They have, you know, a, a, a booth where they have all, um, you know, all, all the uh, guys who are sitting there talking about, okay, camera one, camera two, camera three, raise the level of the volume on their mics, you know, whatever they're saying. Um, mm-hmm. They would run out of the booth and sometimes give you notes and you'd get to run it again. But you'd be lucky if you got to run it three times and, and, and be, you know, and, and then that's it. But sometimes you might struggle with the scene and they'd say, okay, moving on. And I remember many times saying, okay, you're selling Pampers. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, how the scene is because you've sold your freaking pampers for the day. It would be so, I would be so frustrated. It would be like, as a writer, it would be like, I'm I'm writing an article and my editor pulls it out of my hand before I'm ready to publish it. Right. And because they have to publish it tomorrow. And I'm like, wait, my name is on that. It's not my best piece of work. Can I have one hour to fix it? Yeah. And they go, no, hon, you don't have an hour to fix it. We have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. We have to move on. So, so, you know, you, you get used to working with that and you just do it. But, and I have to say back in the day, like I was referring to before working on movies, Okay, Stuart's the director, and Stuart was a very heavy-handed director. You work with directors sometimes, and they're they kind of don't say much to you, and they just you know let you do whatever you want, and you just you know maybe you talk to the other actor, maybe you talk to the director, but um, they're more interested in potentially talking to the DP or the lighting people, and if you work out your blocking, they're fine with whatever you do, or they trust you as an actor, you're doing a good right. job. So they don't, they don't feel like they need to Stuart's say anything very to you. Specific. Well, very Stuart specific. was very specific and that's yeah. fine. You're like, I like that. Um, I want to be in your movie if you're the director. So I want to give you what you want. Um, so, you know, his movies have a certain style and a flavor and a feeling, and you can always tell a Stuart Gordon movie as you can always tell a Brian De Palma movie as well, who was another person who gave me a lot of direction. But when I showed up on your next Everybody was so collaborative. It was very odd to me. It was very strange. You know, like I learned my lines and I knew what I was going to say. And, and every once in a while people would say something different to me. And Joe Swanberg during the dinner scene was ad-libbing so much and talking to me and saying things to me. And it was kind of a free for all, but it was wonderful. And I realized how collaborative it has become and how the business has changed and how everybody in today's world helps one another. You know, I, I worked with, um, with Jackson Stewart on beyond the gates and, and as a producer and I was in the movie and, um, you know, he wrote the script and sent it to me and I read it and I gave him some notes and other people read it and gave him some notes. And then, uh, we shot the movie and we kind of all talk about it while we're shooting it. And, you know, Brie Grant's weighing in a Graham skipper. Then we put the, um, Josh Ethier put the movie together and uh, we had a number of screenings for people to weigh in and give their notes. That wasn't done years ago. People didn't do that. But now everybody's, especially in LA, and I know it's the same in New York, people are so helpful and so friendly to one another and so supportive of each other and their work. I don't know how you do a movie without your friends helping you. Everybody's so smart now and they know, everybody knows each other's jobs so well that um, it's just a lot more fun now than it ever was. I was just, I'm realizing now that not only was it, you know, uh, a welcome comeback for you, uh, your next, but to be, show up on set with people like Mm -hmm. Adam and Simon, Ty West, Mm -hmm. Joe Swanberg, people who are like, people who've made a lot of films and and now yeah. you're seeing a, you're getting a, a, a first person view of these are what filmmakers work like now. I, I like it that. Was, <laughs> I like, I liked it. I I'm telling you after I did that movie, I was so excited and I called my agent and I said, thank you for not dropping me because, um, a number of years before that I, I was with an agent and I hadn't been working as much. I think it really kind of was, um, when I hit my middle thirties and he dropped me because I didn't work for a number of months and I got a call and he said, Oh, you know, it's not really working out. I said, I've been with you for like 10 or 11 months and you're dropping me. Uh, anyway, and that's when I went to my current agent and I worked for a little bit and then I didn't work and he never, 
he never forgot me. And uh, I, like, I, why would you so, have to drop somebody? It doesn't like cost anything to keep you as a client. Right. Well, I guess so. And a lot of these agencies, they have some agencies have 300 clients and they uh, have 10 or 12 agents. So you have one point agent. They yeah. don't want to have too many people on their roster if they can't right. help you. Yeah, I guess that's Yeah, so but but this other agent was notorious for for dropping people if they didn't work out, you know, okay. or didn't make them enough money in a year. But my agent, I just love him. Um and he was wonderful and said, "Oh, of course, I would never drop you. And, you know, and now, you know, we work great together and we, you know, I'm back in the business and I'm working pretty consistently. And, um, you know, he's like a right to me. It's funny that reanimator is in my opinion and most people's opinion considered a classic of the eighties, like an unquestioned Mm -hmm. horror classic. Yeah. And you would assume that, well, a classic would have opened many, many doors for the cast, but your next opened. Right. More doors for you than well, Reanimator. Well, did. well, so because Simon and Adam were fans of Reanimator, like like we were saying earlier, I didn't get the bump up right after I did Reanimator, and it came out. Even though we got good reviews, it was after all these younger filmmakers who had watched the movie when they were 10, 12, 14, way before they probably should have. Now they're grown up and they're like thirty years old, or you know, older. <clears throat> older and they're making movies and they're like, <laughs> Oh, well, what? And also there's a pe- there's been a period where the eighties were kind of in, I think they're kind of still in, I think people who work in, in hard love the eighties. So maybe we'll be in for a while. And I think that's why they could have cast anybody in that role in your next. They didn't have to cast a horror movie notable. They nope. could have cast anybody. You know, on one hand, it makes sense because, you know, A, Simon has really good taste because if I was in his position and I could write for five or six character actors, that's who I would hire. Five or six people you might not have seen in a couple of years. Plus, as as just purely uh, business sense, that's a Hmm. good name to put on your poster. Horror fans know your name. So it's like that does help their marketing because people go, Barbara from Reanimator? Holy shit. I'll see. You know, I like her. yeah, she's not dead. She's oh, alive. stop. She's back. Uh, so, yeah, so but right, anyway, let, it did open a lot of doors for me after that because I happened to come back in a movie that did so well. Um, I was definitely on people's radar and definitely on the radar of a lot of the younger filmmakers. So and, and your you know. your your pay your uh, your let's just say that like your reanimator payoff just showed up a little bit late. Uh, in a yes, perfect, it did. Uh, it totally, yeah, in yeah. a perfect world, you yeah. would have had a ton of these offers in the early nineties, but better late than never. Right. Um, right, right. so let's talk a bit about, uh, from beyond, uh, in it by itself and, or in contrast to reanimator, because as you mentioned earlier in reanimator, uh, you are kind of the exploited character in that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. she's a strong, interesting character, but she is, you know, the, the damsel in distress. Right. Uh, in From Beyond, she is the diametric opposite of that. And it was mm-hmm. that part of like, well, I, I like Stuart and I'll be whatever movie you're in, but this mm-hmm. is what I want to see. This is different. I think they did that on purpose. They liked Jeffrey and I for whatever reason. I I, I, I know they also liked Bruce, but, you know, for some reason he didn't make it into the next movie. And I think they always thought they were going to use him again. Well, they did. You know, Brian used him, mm-hmm. but it didn't. Stuart never used to make on. Um, but for some reason they liked the story of from beyond. They wanted to bring me in. They wanted to change the roles that Jeffrey and I had in the first movie and make me sort of the, the evil doctor and right. then and him more of the exploited one. Yep. Um, and it was, and you know, listen, after the success of reanimator, um, we shot that movie for, I don't know what the exact budget was, but you know, it wasn't very much. It was like 700,000, which sounds like a lot now, but back then that was a very low budget. And because it did so well, we got more than 5 million, I think for, from beyond. And we shot it in Italy. Um, but that was a harder role for Jeffrey to take. And he was kind of, I don't know. He was kind of annoyed about it a little bit. It is a weirdly vulnerable role. He usually does play a dominant character. And in this movie, he kind of becomes, uh, 
you know, uh, subservient, let's say. He does. And I think the makeup was really difficult for him. Oh yeah. There's some amazing makeup in there and, and every actor, I can only imagine how, how much trouble oh, they went through. It, it was, a, he was a long time in the makeup chair. So, you know, he wanted to sit on his laurels a little bit after reanimator, but he, he had a tougher time on from beyond. It was a much more in a way challenging role for him, but mm-hmm. of course he, you know, he, did a great job with it. And absolutely. I mean, he's great. He has a great performance. Yeah. 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 He, he, you know, Jeffrey can't give a bad performance. He just can't, he's incapable of that, but, and, and he's a very big actor. So, you know, uh, he, he makes big choices and Stuart liked that. So I think that's why Stuart liked us because I, I make big choices too. And every time I do a movie, I always tell the director, I say, look, I'm going to overdo it a little bit. So when you want to rein me in, just rein me in, but I'm going to probably give you more than you need. You're never going to have to say to me, do more. You're going to have to say, do less. I'll give you Uh, a 10. I'll give you 10. Let me know if you want eight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, that's just who I am as a person too, because you know, kind we always bring a little bit of ourselves to every part. And I have a big personality and I can be somewhat loud and, I'm very engaged. So I work with other people. You know, when I worked on this movie, um, Sunchoke with Sarah Hagen, she's very, you know, her, her in her own real life, she's very soft spoken and she listens a lot more than she talks. And, you know, so there's different, there's different reasons why different actors are, you know, dynamically different in different roles. And I think, you know, kind of going off topic, but when you watch a movie and you see a person and you think, uh-huh, that person isn't in the same movie as that other person. The tone is a little bit off. It's up to the director to say, well, give me less or give me a little bit more, or, you know, rein that in because you don't want it to be too over the top. But we right. all have friends like that, right? Like I have a, I have a friend who's louder than me and she comes into a room and she completely takes over and you just, you know, you're mesmerized by her and you can't look or watch anything else. And, uh, it's hard to get a word in. So, you know, as a director, you have to make everybody feel like they're in, within the same movie. Um, but that being said, I think Stuart liked Jeffrey and I, and that's why he wanted us to be in from beyond. And, 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 but for my, for me, for my character in from beyond of Catherine McMichaels, I mean, that was a dream come true. That that's what I really thought. Wow. They paid me a lot of money for the movie at the time. I was the star of the movie. I was in Italy. My first time out of the country I was amazing. It was, it was a dream role who gets to be, um, a psychiatrist and somewhat repressed and then gets to don black leather and go crazy and insane at the end. Yeah, it is an actor's, you get to do a little bit of everything in that movie. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm glad that you got to play that role because, you know, obviously you're very good in reanimator, but it is kind of, Except for the beginning, in Act right. Two and Three, she's kind of just shrieking a lot. And in in From yeah. Beyond, you have every every facet of the rainbow from uh, yeah. from icy cold to sexy to mm-hmm. kind of pathetic to everything. So right. that to me is a, a real highlight reel for you. And right. I I love the in, inner debate for years of they are such companion pieces because of mm-hmm. you and Jeffrey, because mm-hmm. of Dennis and and Brian yeah. and Stewart, and because they're so different. Like reanimator is kind of like, I think kind of like a playful dark and mm-hmm. from beyond is just straight up disturbing. And, um, yes. And yeah. Stuart didn't want the humor in from beyond. And he was very clear with us on that. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I, we had the humor in reanimator and I want to make a more straight horror movie. I don't, you know, it can have its moments, but I don't want any of that humor that we had in reanimator. He's really specific about that. Yeah. How many times over the years do you think you've seen both of those movies with, with an audience? Well, I usually get the intro and then I leave right. and I go mean, have I mean, a drink and come back. Um, yeah. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, not, not that many to be honest with you, maybe five or six times for each. Does, uh, is, is, uh, when you're, when you're out with the family in the mall, uh, and, and yeah. someone of my approximate age, <clears throat> mid forties, uh, speaks to you. Wh- what's the film or what do they bring up most often? Uh, probably reanimator. I think, you know, yeah. a lot of people tell me that they like from beyond better, but that's not the, 
that's not a, a huge percentage. Most people yeah. really, they like my character in From Beyond, but they pretty much agree that reanimators stand out for them. I mean, it's just a very unique movie. Um, it's funny because sometimes people don't recognize my face, but they know my name. And so they don't, re you look like you did 25 <laughs> years ago. I'm looking well, at a photo of you yeah. to, from, from last year and you look, you're the same. <laughs> well, if I didn't know you and I saw you in a mall, I'd go, that's Barbara Crampton right there from Reanimator. Well, like you wouldn't, you're not hard to recognize. Well, I, w I know how to walk into good lighting and I use makeup well. So, but thank uh, you for that. But, you know, like recently I went on a plane and I have to stop at, um, you know, the guys who check you in, check your ticket and, um, and check your ID. And so on my ID, it says Barbara Crampton Blackman because I'm married. My last name is Blackman. So the guy said, Barbara Crampton, Barbara Crampton from Reanimator, Barbara Crampton. You know, he looked right at me and didn't recognize me, but he looked at my name and he said, I know that name. I don't, you know, I'm not expecting. He was being polite. No, he's like not expecting, not expecting to see Meg Halsey walk up to you yeah. in an airport. So, you know, everybody's in their own life mind and, you know, you have things you're thinking about and we're all sort of possessed by our thoughts. And uh, 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 Drew will kill me. If we don't bring up at least one other film before okay. we before we kick in a little discussion about your favorite 80s movies, let's mm. talk just a bit about the you're not just in one or two cult favorites. You're also in Chopping Mall, which oh, yeah. is I I'm not surprised one iota that mm. uh, Reanimator and From Beyond are cult items. That doesn't surprise me one bit. I saw mm. Chopping Mall on VHS when it first came out. Kind of liked it. Saw it again recently. Kind of yeah. laughed at it. I would have never guessed that that would have become a cult hit. And it is. Yeah. I don't know. What is it about that movie? It's very cheesy and very yes. silly. And I guess it's sort of fun. Um, it, and, it is fun. Yeah. Uh, but and do silly. you have any uh, funny anecdotes about shooting in a mall? Any, any, any fond memories? Well, in the beginning of my career, you know, I didn't realize that when they say it's a night shoot, you have to shoot it at night. I didn't realize that's what that meant. Um, and of course, shooting at the mall, it's an operating mall. So during the day, people are shopping for things. And my call time was 6 p.m. the first day that I was on set. And I thought, 6 p.m.? Why are they calling me at 6 p.m.? And then I think I made a phone call to my agent. And, and they said, oh, yeah, this is all night shoots. And I said, what does that mean? Means you're said, away. That means you're up yeah. from six to six. That's yeah. what that means. <laughs> so I, I wasn't aware of that before I started shooting. And I thought, oh, no, I'm never going to get to this. How am I going to stay up all night? I've just been up all day. Uh, you know, you get used to it after a while. I, mm -hmm. Now I've done plenty of night shoots. So I know how to put myself to sleep and relax if I come in at five in the morning and I have to sleep all day and get up at three. Um, so that was that was my first thing. Also, it, it was one of, you know, like Fraternity Vacation, which was that teen sex comedy. This was kind of the same. It was fun. All the actors, we were all the same age. It was, we were all together having a party and we felt like that. We all um, had a great time together. I met one of my best friends, Kelly Maroney, on that movie. And she's remained one of my best friends to this day. Um, and... Uh, Carrie Emerson was on that movie. I thought she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. She, you know, I, I grew up in, I was born on Long Island, but I grew up in Vermont. I moved to Vermont when I was 11 and I went to college there and I wasn't really savvy about hair and makeup and I don't know. I just wasn't trendy or anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I am more savvy about those things now, but I wasn't. And Carrie Emerson, I thought was the most beautiful girl, her hair was great. Her makeup was great. So, you know, I kept asking her, how do you do your hair? What do you put in it? And what makeup brands do you use? And I, I became like her little cult follower, you know, and, um, uh, just trying to be, uh, like Carrie Emerson and, um, Nick Siegel was fun to work with him. He was my boyfriend in the movie. And, uh, we, we all had a great time together. And, you know, of course there were some people in the movie, Paul Bartel and, 
Man, Mary yeah. Warnoff. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know who those people were, but I knew that they were uh, cult figures and that's why Jim Wynorski had cast them. And so looking up those people and seeing who they were, I felt, you know, privileged to be working with people like that. And, and I think this was Jim's first movie or one of his first movies. And it's probably guys made hundreds and literally hundreds under different names. And without question, this is, is one of his top three films without question. And isn't that funny? And so, and the same thing for Stuart Gordon. So I worked with two people where their first movie is their seminal movie in a way, yep, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, why? Uh, before we go, we want our listeners mm-hmm. to get a little insight into uh, what 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 do you uh, what's Barbara Crampton's eighties uh, viewing list? What do you what? I know you listen to the show, and thank you. Uh, yeah. Do you take notes? Do you write stuff down? Do you go, oh, I remember that, or I never heard of that? How do you how do you approach your eighties movie diet? Oh my god! Well, every when I listen to your show, and I've become a pretty much of a regular listener now, I listen to it in the car, and it's usually when I'm driving to LA or driving back, and I don't have a pen or a pencil near me, and I think of these movies that you say that I haven't seen, then they sound so fascinating, and I think. Oh, I have to watch that. So if I stop by the side of the road to go to the bathroom or get a coffee or something, I try to jot down what you've told me. And and there's one movie you were talking about about this. I think it was an Asian man, and he was he he. Oh God, I don't even know. What, oh, no, uh, I have to. Is it called the, Chan is Missing? Chan is Missing. Yep. I have to watch Chan is Missing. That's a Wayne Wang film, and the only yeah. reason that I I knew it from you just from just that minor description is because mm-hmm. you're like the fourth person who has oh. said to me or Drew, I'd never heard of that movie. Thank you. Right. So, and you guys went on and on about it. And I looked it up afterwards and I saw that it had a pretty high IMDb rating. And so I was like, I have to, I have to watch this. I still haven't watched it, but I, I've made little lists of movies that you guys wow. uh, tell people to watch. And, you know, I have an ongoing list, but then you have an ongoing list for movies that come out now, because there's so many movies that come out that you have to keep up with. So it's, it's pretty pretty hard to actually have a life and watch all the movies that you really want to watch. Um, that being said, you know, some, some off the top of my head, eighties movies that I really like. I mean, I love the evil dead movies. Um, you know, evil dead two is probably one of my favorite movies. Um, what what year, what year was that? 87. Okay. So you're going to be a long time before you get to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're not even at, we won't even get to body uh, double for a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. I just I mean, want to uh, I just want to thank mm-hmm. you for supporting the show when when mm-hmm. we started doing some interviews way back we did a few with Nancy Allen and mm-hmm. I said I reached out to you via DM and I said would you do an interview for my goofy little podcast and without even missing a beat you're like yes when? I said, well, you know, you heard- I love you and I love Drew and, you know, I'll do anything for you guys. I mean, there's I the nice thing about being an actor now, you know, because we have social media and coming back, you know, as I did with your next and having Facebook and being on Twitter. And in fact, it was Simon Barrett who said to me when we were uh, working on your next, we were coming to the close of it. He goes, you know, we all really like you, Barb. We want to stay in touch with you. But the only way we're going to really stay in touch with you is if you get on Twitter and Facebook. And I said, I am not doing that. So, I mean, that's just not my thing. And he said, well, we're not going to be calling you and we probably won't be, you know, having too many emails, you know, to have a relationship with you. So if you want to keep in touch with us, you're going to have to join Twitter. And you're a a hit on Twitter. People love you. So he said it to me. So I said, oh gosh, okay, I'll join. I'll join. So because of Twitter, you were, you were, when I joined Twitter, you were like the first day, I don't know how you knew I was on there or whatever, but you reached out like within an hour I was on Twitter and somehow people knew I was on there and, and you reached out to me and said something which was quite crude at the time. (laughs) And I was, I was like, who's this guy? Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, that Whatever. we don't have to tell people what it was. No, it wasn't. It was a parody oh. of what a eighties fanboy would sound like. Yeah. But having said that, you didn't know me at that point. So you didn't know no. my humor. If no. I made that joke now, you'd be like a oh, Weinberg. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But right. I apologize for that. That no, was all okay. in jest. <laughs> so, so because of those things, I've gotten to know people like you and like Drew and a, a lot of other, um, 
journalists out there and people who have movie sites and blogs. And I count you people as friends now. And I go to all these film festivals, which I never went to back in the eighties because we had built in distribution back then. I, Barbara, I didn't, I didn't know from a film festival. What Barbara you know. stopped by Cinepocalypse in Chicago last yeah. year. Josh invited her out and she mm. was the bell of the ball. We had Eric Roberts. We had so many yeah. good so many, uh, we had Larry Cohen, we had, yeah. uh, 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 keep, uh you, you guys, I didn't stop by, you put me on the jury last year. So yes, I came you were out, there for the whole second, week. You were there for the whole week. Apocalypse. Yeah. And I was there on the jury. So and that you was were, super uh, fun. you were a real highlight. Thank you so much for yeah. coming out last year. And thank you for sitting with us today, Barbara. You awesome. are always a highlight, always a dream to talk to. And I hope to see you over the next mm. five years in eight or 10 <laughs> more good indie horror films because you are now like a, uh, a lucky charm, it seems like, to filmmakers. Oh, nice. Thank you for saying that. Appreciate it, Scott. Love you, Barb. Thank you. Love you too. All right. Bye-bye.